for the past six or seven weeks, we've been talking about this idea of holiness from what First Peter chapter 1 is talking about. So what is the thing that makes us holy before God? I mean, what is it really? There's a lot of things holy people do, and there's a lot of holy things that holy people don't do, but I think there's one thing that we must do. There's one thing we must understand. There's a story of a preacher, a new preacher, who just came to town, and he was getting to know people, and so he decided one day he'd go to the local nursing home to check on some people, and uh, the problem was this actual preacher was kind of a pompous guy, kind of a self-absorbed guy, and thought more about himself than what he should have, and he goes walking into the nursing home and starts walking around just talking to people, and goes into one of the rooms that was a church member, and he bends down to the little lady that was there, and he goes, ma'am, do you know who I am? She looked at him and says, no, I don't, but if you go to the front desk, they can probably tell you, you know. That's the question. Do we know who we are? I mean, do we really know who we are? Peter says, if you know who you are, you will be holy, that we will be holy. He says in verses 15 and 16 of 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, as he who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So we understand, we've talked about in the last several weeks, um, we are called to be a holy people. Remember what that means? That we're holy? It simply means we're set apart from the world around us. You see, when we're holy people, when we're becoming like God and who God wants us to be, when people see us out in the world doing what we do every day, they should be able to automatically think to themselves, that right there is a child of God. There's something different about them because of how they act and what they do. Because understand this, because if we do it right, this thing called holiness if we do this right, we look like him. We look like him. And that's what we should desire. And we'll look like him because we try to be holy like he is holy. So again, I'm going to ask the question, what does that mean? What does it mean to be holy? There's a lot of people in the world today that says if you're going to be holy, then you have to follow all of these rules. The ones that we know are holy or these good Christians are the ones who are always praying, always reading their Bibles. They're the ones that don't cuss and don't swear and don't get mad all the time. They don't get drunk. They don't do drugs. They're the ones who don't go into bars or these strip clubs. They don't watch X-rated films. You can go on and on and on about who these people are. And that, that's what holy people should and should not do. Now, I want you to understand, now, some of that is true, okay? Some of those things... We should do and shouldn't do as holy people. Should holy people pray and read their Bibles? That's pretty easy. Absolutely. That's something we should be doing day in and day out as we go through the day. Should holy people not cuss? Should holy people not get drunk? Should we not go to X-rated films? Of course they shouldn't. That's what holy people should be like. But we're not always that way. In fact, Peter tells Christians, all of whom came out of a pagan lifestyle, he says in verse 14, he says, as obedient children, catch this, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. 
you got to like that word ignorance. You know, there's one thing being stupid, another thing being ignorant. You know what the difference is? Being stupid, you're able to learn. Being ignorant, you refuse to learn. You refuse to change. That's just ignorant right there. And that's what he's saying. Don't go back to those former things. In other words, what Peter is telling us is this. Stay away from the bad stuff. Stay away from all that other garbage. And apparently, we all know what the bad stuff is because Peter doesn't go into a list of all the bad things here. He doesn't make this list of shoulds and shouldn'ts. He's saying we know already. He doesn't dwell on it. He doesn't go over a list of do's and don'ts that mark people as holy. We talked a couple weeks ago about a group that's in the world today called the Holiness Movement, Holiness Church. And what they do is they come up with this list of do's and don'ts for their church people. And this church has been around, I kind of looked it up, for over two centuries. And they believe by their definition, if you're going to be holy, you're not allowed to do these things. So these people have these rules. They don't play cards. They don't attend movies. They don't wear shorts or jeans. They don't go to public swimming pools. They don't go dancing. And a whole of people who go to church should dress in only certain ways. At this church, if you go to this church, women have to wear dresses or skirts, and men have to wear suits, okay? Now, I'm not saying one way or the other, okay? If you want to live by a set of rules, a set of standards that are man-made, by all means, if that's what gets you to that point, to be holy. That's not what Peter's saying. Peter doesn't see the need to go into that kind of list in our text. He doesn't make a list of what we should do and shouldn't do. And he doesn't need to. Because we all know the things that would bring us shame and guilt. We all know the bad stuff, right? The bad stuff that we used to do. How we used to live. At least I hope it's different than what it used to be. That we don't do a lot of those things. So we have this group called the Holiness Movement that has this list of do's and don'ts. Then you have this other, they call him a comedian, Bill Mayer, um, who's supposed to be a Christian, but he's, or a, a comedian, but he's not a fan of Christianity. And in fact, he makes fun of Christians and religious things all the time. In fact, he says this. He once said that we wouldn't even know what sin is if it wasn't for the Bible. Okay? Now, in the face of that, he's spot on. He's dead right. That we wouldn't know what sin was if it wasn't for the Bible, if we didn't have the example. Mayor meant it as an insult, though. He was basically saying that sin was something the Bible made up, that it's not real. If it weren't for the Bible, people could live their lives as they wanted without religious interference. That's what he meant. And what he's saying to us is we're wasting our time trying to be holy. That we're taking a Bible that's a bunch of made-up stories and made-up rules that we are supposed to follow. But Peter here is telling us, his readers today, you know what sin is. You know what's right. You know the bad stuff that was in our life at one time, that hopefully that has changed. He says, you used to wallow in this sin when we were pagans. And he says, you know better than to go back to that lifestyle. You know better than to do that. You may have been ignorant back then, but he says, but not now. You're better than that. You're smarter than that. He says, don't go there. Don't do that. Now that you're called to be holy, he says, don't go back to the passions of the past. But what I found interesting in 1 Peter 
was that not only does Peter not dwell on the bad stuff, okay? He doesn't dwell on the bad stuff. He tells us that our rejection of the evil, bad stuff, makes it so that we could do the holy, good stuff. And that's what Peter does. That's what I like about what Peter says in there. He doesn't dwell on the bad stuff, but he gives us the good stuff of holiness, of what the good things are when we are holy, when we try to be like God or to be look like God. And he gives us the good stuff. But what is the good stuff? Listen to verse 22 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, in other words, you've purified yourself from the bad stuff, he says, For a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That's the good stuff. That we love one another earnestly from a pure heart. You see, a good reason to get rid of all the bad stuff he's saying that we need to grab onto was so that we could do the good things. Now, I don't know about you, but I know there's a lot of things in my life that I enjoy doing. They're not bad, but they're not always good. You know, I can keep myself as busy as I want, and I can be as tired as I want, but sooner or later it catches up with me. So sometimes i got to get rid of some bad stuff or even some decent stuff to do the better stuff. And that's what Peter wants us to understand. And that good stuff is, he says, we dedicate ourselves or yourself to a sincere brotherly love and love one another deeply from a pure heart. That brotherly love is what it's about. That's what holy people do. Now, any religious person, if you want to, can make a list and follow the rules. In fact, in in the New Testament, the Pharisees did exactly this. They did exactly what we're talking about. Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew 5.20, He says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, he's telling these Pharisees, these teachers of Jesus' day, that your Holiness better be better than theirs, or you're not going to get to heaven. Now, that's something, that we have to have sincere brotherly love. It's one thing for me to stand here and say, I love somebody, and I'll do something. But if I don't follow through with it, it's no better than the Pharisees. It's no better than what anybody else is doing. So when it came to avoiding all this bad stuff, the stuff of paganism. Um, The Pharisees had it down pat. Man, they were good at it. They knew what bad things they ought not to do. They knew what bad words they ought not to say. They knew all the bad places they ought not to go. They knew how to avoid the bad stuff. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. They didn't know how to do the good stuff. They didn't understand the good stuff. They were so good at doing the bad stuff or ignoring the things they ought to do that they didn't realize that the idea that Jesus had was all good. In fact, in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus tells them, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Remember what he says? Hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. See, the problem with the Pharisees, and a lot of times a problem with us today, was that they weren't really good at loving others. They were good at loving themselves. 
They were good at doing things for themselves or for one another, but not other people. In fact, their motto was, no one saved but thee and me, and I'm not sure about thee. You know, they were good about themselves, but not sure about you or you or you because you're not as good as me. But even though they were doing wrong, they would never have understood this holiness concept of sincere brotherly love or loving another so earnestly from a pure heart. And there's a lot of religious people like that, unfortunately, in the world today. They know the bad stuff they should avoid, but don't understand the need for the good stuff of loving others. And I want you to catch this. But real Christianity has always been different than that of what the Pharisees and that of what the world wants us to understand. Christianity is different, and that's nothing new. At the end of the second century, there was a Christian leader in Africa named Tertullian. And he wrote that while pagan temples spent their donations on feast and drinking bouts, okay, they got drunk and they overate, he said this, Christians spent theirs to support and bury poor people, to supply the wants of boys and girls, destitute of means and parents, and of old persons confined to the house. Okay, even the pagans knew what the Christians were doing. They, the, the non-Christians, the non-believers of Jesus' day and back in this day, they understood what was going on, that we were trying to do something good, that we were different. The pagan emperor Julian complained, the impious Galileans, impious because they were refused to worship the God of the Romans, um, they refused to worship and support the, not only their poor, but ours as well. So they supported everybody. They helped anybody and everybody. It just wasn't a certain amount of people. Now, I want you to understand, just real, real quick, you know, we're talking about this brotherly love. We're talking about this, this earnest, um, pure-hearted love. And we understand, right, we're not this megachurch, right? We're not a, a, a Willow Creek. We're not a Southeast that have twenty to 30,000 people on a weekend. You know, could you imagine? Yeah, I'm not against that. I love going to visit those places. I have a friend, well, Dave Hastings is in the church, and he's up over a couple thousand, a one or two churches. They have a satellite campus, and they have a Thursday night worship service, of all things. And on weekends like this, people come to Thursday night, at least they're at church, so when they're out camping or doing, where most of our people are at this morning, you know, but they come to church. And I think it's kind of cool. But we're not this mega church, and we understand that. We're not the second century church. We, we face other problems. But we do try to honor. And we do things in the world today that I think are important. I think this church understands. And I, I'm proud to be part of this church. Because what we do is we try to reach out. We try to be the church and do different things. I mean, on Wednesdays, we get together on family night. We eat. We feed kids. We try to teach. We do Bible studies. We have fellowship. We do those things. Our missions, we support missionaries, not only worldwide, but local missions. We understand the need to do that. Um, we actually support two FCAs. We go to Covington for a breakfast three or four times a year. I go down to North Maine multiple times throughout the year and teach for 10 minutes uh, in the mornings for them. You know, so we do that. I love doing that. We do Christmas gifts for kids, uh, for families that can't afford Christmas. We do that in a big way. We do cookies for teachers, you know, uh, just to say thank you, those kinds of things. Um, 
And there's a lot of other things that happen. I mean, we're getting ready for VBS, and we're doing, uh, we go to camp, and we do all those things. In fact, Thursday, I got a message that camp lost four big trees. They needed help cutting trees up. So my day went from being in the office to going up there with a couple chainsaws and cutting wood all day just to get camp ready to do those things. It's one of our missions, and I'm more than happy to do that. And we get the idea of a big picture of what's going on. Uh, I look at the guys that uh, serve on the board, you know, Russell and Dave as, as the elders, and then, you know, Tom and Josh and the other guys as deacons. And what I love about our board right now is we can sit, we can talk, and we can look, and I think we get the big picture. We're getting the big picture. Now, there's things we need to do. We know that. We're talking about that. But we also know that this world and this church is more than these walls. There's a lot of people that need to hear about Jesus Christ, and we need to do those things. But you see, the idea that I'm trying to get at is, you know, no, we're not a mega church. We're a church that sits out in the middle of the country, in the middle of a bunch of bean fields and cornfields, and I got cows across the street, and we got geese that keep people from going to church, and we got all this stuff going on, you know. But we also have to understand, not everybody who calls themselves Christian understands this holiness that Peter describes. Okay, we don't understand it. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 22, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. You see, there are people who call themselves Christians who really don't want to do that. Okay, we need to grab onto that. We need to understand that it happens. That there's somebody that'll call them Christians. I mean, they might help the poor. They might give a few dollars because it makes them feel better. Uh, makes them feel good about themselves. They think, well, I'm going to give a couple dollars to this poor person. I'm going to get a couple brownie points with God. Okay? It doesn't work that way, but we have people that think that. There's people that's not much for church, but they'll come. But there's a lot of people that believe they can be just as good a Christian without church and without all this we call worship by themselves, doing life on their own that they can be just as good. But we have to remember that when you look through the scriptures, there's over 50 scriptures that talk about love one another, that we love one another. In fact, 1 Peter 4, 8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. That we love one another earnestly. Romans twelve ten, Paul wrote, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. That would change the world, wouldn't it? If we tried to outdo somebody else by showing honor. James wrote in James 2.8, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. I know we got neighbors that we don't like, that we could rather just let them move on down the road a little bit farther. But he says we need to love our neighbors. John wrote, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. And Jesus said this in John 13, 34 and 35. He says, A new command I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Catch what he says. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Did you catch that? By this, people will know who you are, if we love one another. This is what holiness is all about. Holiness is when love others, we love others the same way Jesus loved us. Understand that. John 3.16 says, For God so loved 
the world. And we are too. Not things going on in the world, but we have to love the people. There's an author, and he makes a lot of videos, a guy by the name of Francis Chan. You may have heard of him. I enjoy listening to him. He's so ADHD when he preaches. It's hilarious. But he always has a good message. He was a preacher several years back. He was in this megachurch. Um, when he gets to talking conventions and everything, he attracts thousands and thousands of people. His church was no different. He's very, very good. Several years ago, he decided to leave this megachurch. He resigned, stepped away from it, went and started another little church, uh, like a home church in California. But he loved the congregation that he was at, and that's not wasn't the question. He just felt the feeling that they were doing church just to do church, okay? And that's all they were doing. He wasn't making a big impact. Yeah, he had the numbers. They had the money. They had all this stuff. But he said, we were just doing church to do church. And he came up with kind of this, and this is three of seven things. But he says this. One of the things he pointed out is he asked people, what people want from church is different to what the Bible commands. And I like kind of what he did. He says, this is what we want from church. We want a good service. We want a certain style. We want the volume to be right. Length, and we want an entertaining sermon. We want close parking. We want coffee. And nobody better sit in my seat. Okay? If we have that, then we like church. But the Bible commands that we love one another as I have loved you. And he says, look after widows and orphans. This is what the Bible commands. The Bible commands make disciples of all nations. That's what the Bible commands. It's a little bit different than what we kind of want a lot of times, isn't it? Maybe it's too hot, too cold. You know, five drops of rain will keep anybody away from church, but not away from a baseball game. You know, because it's our standards. He also says being relevant, pursuing popularity, and using entertainment won't grow our church. He says, we're worried that we have created a human-centered churches where no one gets offended, and if the sheep don't hear the voice of God, we let them walk away. We say it's their problem, their issue. And the third was, he says, we say we value the Bible, but our actions suggest otherwise. 1 Timothy 4.13 says, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture. The public reading. And I'm not saying we have to go stand on the corner, but we shouldn't be ashamed to pull out our Bible at work at lunch and read the Scriptures. Francis Chan wrote one time, and I'm getting closing here. He says, years ago, my friend from India drove me to a speaking engagement in Dallas. He says, when we heard the music and saw the lights, this guy from India said, you Americans are funny. He says, you won't show up unless there's a good speaker or a band. He says, in India, people get excited just to pray. Francis says he proceeded to tell me how believers back home love communion and how they flock to a simple prayer gatherings. He says, I imagine God looking down on earth and seeing people on one side of the planet gathering expectantly whenever prayer is happening. Meanwhile, on the other side of the planet, people only show up for the most talented people and the most popular atmosphere. Francis says, it's actually embarrassing. We talked about what we expect from church. But what about the commands God gave the church? How we are to be holy because we need to be doing what God wants us to do, like love one another as I have loved you. Or what he says in James 1.27, visit orphans and widows, or make disciples of all nations, or bear one another's burdens. And then he asks this. He says, then I asked them, what would upset people the most if the church didn't provide the things from that first list? Okay, if we didn't have coffee. Or maybe we announced that it's 100 degrees outside and the air conditioning broke down. Let's be honest. How many would stay home? 
I'm not going to come sit in church when it's 100 degrees outside and 150 in here. Honest? Would we be tempted to stay home? Yeah? I mean, let's be honest. But there's other parts of the world people would walk miles in 100 degree weather just to get together to worship. I'm afraid we do church just to do church. We get more uneasy when the sermons go long. We don't like the music or it's too loud or someone sat in my seat or we're asked to do something like serve somewhere in the church. Now, I understand that we have a great church. We have a beautiful church. Even though it's a newer church, we're always trying to keep it up. We're trying to do things to make it better and all those kinds of things. But what we have to do is we have to be careful, even with a beautiful church. You know, what happens when we find a scratch on a door or we find muddy fingerprints on a painted wall. Do we get upset? At least a couple of you are honest about it. We do. Now, I'm not suggesting we, we abuse the church or the church building, okay? I could be careful how I say this. But if we love the church building so much, we lose our holiness a little bit. Because we're not about a building. We're about the lost. We should be more about what people aren't here, who people aren't here, than actually the ones that are. We should be more about the hurting, be those who are struggling. We should be about those people, not about a building. Now, I'm not saying we let this building go you know, downhill and all that. I'm not saying that because God gave us this building. He blessed us with it. But we have to be careful with the holiness that's the most important thing that we do. And that's what holiness is all about. It's about what, who we are and who we're becoming and if we're wanting to look like God. And that's what I want us to understand. That's what Peter's trying to tell us. Is it's what we do, not because we always get together on Sunday, but it's those things that happen outside of these walls. This week, Sandra and I went down to Kingman just to grab a sandwich. We were both busy. She was working on VBS. I think I was mowing, doing other things. And we decided to run down there just to grab a sandwich. But it turned out we got to have a nice conversation with Hardy and Sally. Because they weren't busy at that time. And they came out and sat with us. And we just had a nice conversation. You know, and it's, it's so cool to be able to do that. You know, I'm almost going to tell you that even this year, uh, we had stuff planned. I have weddings and family reunions that I'm not going to make it to one of the open houses this year. And I feel bad about that, you know, but it doesn't make me any more unholy. It doesn't make me a bad person. It just means there's other things going on. But it's about what God desires of us and what he wants of us. So my question as we close this morning, we get ready to sing this invitation hymn. Is this kind of holiness what the Bible describes, what Peter's describing, what Jesus desires, and what God says to look like him. Is that something we desire in our life? Or are we just going to keep going, doing the same thing over and over again? You know, we know the bad stuff we shouldn't do, but we tell ourselves, just this once, just one more time. I know God will forgive me. It'll all be good. Instead of knowing in the forefront, no, I'm not going to do those things. 